Hello there, friend. Welcome back to the Cash Confidence Stylist Podcast. So before we get into this episode, I got a question for you. How often do you ask yourself, where the hell is my money going? Okay, look, a lot of us, that runs in a constant loop in our mind. And it's time to take your first step towards financial empowerment. So I wanted to give you a free resource that is going to help you do just that. I wanna give you Assess Your Situation, which is the first module in my course, as well as your guide to figuring out where the fuck your money is actually going. Sorry if you have kids in the car. So this is gonna be a free guide that I've created to help you break the loops, providing you with tools to assess your current financial situation. You don't even have to break out the calculator and to help you gain awareness about what you actually need to start making those money moves where it truly matters. So go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the show notes and snag it. The link is down there um, and enjoy this episode. Let me know how assessing your situation goes. Thanks friends. Welcome to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. Here, we dive into topics that reach far beyond the salon. I'm your host, Misty Jane. I'm a life and money coach for stylists who are obsessed with personal growth. I help you enhance your mindset around money, build a business that lights you up, and create a life of peace. Me and my guests are on a mission to normalize the wealthy stylist while creating a safe space to be perfectly imperfect. Wanna join me? then you're in the right place. Hello there, friends. Welcome back to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. Today's episode is a spicy one. If you follow Michelle on Instagram, better known as Beauty Business Guide, um, then you know what I'm talking about. So this is the first time I got the opportunity to meet and connect with her, and she was so fun to chat with because I love me a woman who is not scared to say how they feel. Um, this is a great episode. We talk about all kinds of things, cultural expectation. We talk about kind of the quote unquote shoulds in your business. And she is an educator that helps salon owners and independents, excuse me, um, build their profit. And like in a real way, she is very number focused, fact focused. um, And I love that. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. If you like it, do not forget to screenshot it, post it on the gram tag me, tag beauty business guide, all of the things. Also, I have created something for you. It is the three secrets to becoming a cash confident stylist. This was actually a webinar that I did last year and it was so good and it was information that resonated so much with my audience that I decided to create a little freebie for you. So you can go and you can click that um, in the show notes of this podcast episode. And you also um, get the opportunity to save some money on my signature course, Money Beyond the Chair. So Three Secrets to Becoming a Cash Confident Stylist is kind of your entryway to finding security when it comes to your finances, okay? What do I mean by that? What do we all want? We all want to feel secure. What is the problem? We think we need more money. We think that that is the only way to feel secure, and let me tell you that is not the case, my friend. 
I promise you, if you won the lottery right now, you would still probably handle your money the exact same way and maybe not end up in the greatest position. So three secrets to becoming a cash confident stylist. It is about more than just taking control of your money. It's about finding security and new ways of being when it comes to your finances. So please, please, please check that out. Like I said, you can click in the show notes um, and grab that. And with that being said, I introduce you to Michelle from The Beauty Business Guide. Please enjoy. Hi, Michelle. How are Hello you? There. I'm How are you? I get real weird at the beginning, don't I? Hello. Yeah. Welcome to the Cash yeah. Confident Stylist Podcast. It's like a chance encounter type of thing. Like, hi. It's it's like my, it's my radio voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm really excited about this conversation. I think it's going to be a fiery one. Um, And I, well, I'm not even going to give away anything just yet. So I want you to tell everybody who you are and what you do. My name is Michelle. I am Beauty Business Guide on Instagram. I am a salon owner. I opened prior to COVID three salons in California. And then after COVID, we closed one, downsized another. And um, last August, I opened a another salon in Arizona. So I travel back and forth. About two years ago, I was like, you know, I have a lot of experience with a lot of stylists and I'm seeing what they're doing. This is the one benefit that like I had of experiencing uh, just so many different people behind the chair was when we had the full three salons, there were over a hundred different beauty professionals. Like I learned um, really about optimizing your time from a uh, esthetician who was like the top lash artist in our area. And she realized she'd make more money, you know, doing waxes and be able to like take off time. Anyhow, it just led me down these different things, optimizing the menu for the salon because we had so many people booking incorrectly. There was just so many different things with it that I was like, I need to start sharing this on social media because this is not me wanting to be a coach because I just decided that I wanted to be a coach and this is how I wanted to make money, even though obviously I'm taking time. I got to make money doing it. My goal was to share, Hey guys, if this is what's going on in your business too, this is what we did to do X, Y, Z. We were the first in our area to do online booking, to advertise on, you know, Yelp, Um, optimize our Google profile, all of those things. And our salons prior to COVID, all three salons were booked out for two weeks. Mm -hmm. No one could get in. So I was like, well, we're doing something right. And I wouldn't have called myself like a professional business person at that point, because it was all just, let's see what this is going to do. And as a small business, most small businesses don't have the funds to pay for like a marketing agency, you know, or somebody else. So it was me, myself, and I, And then my business partner did some of the other things. I have a business partner at one of the locations. So Mm -hmm. that's how it got here. Do you consider yourself a coach or an educator or both? So now I consider myself like marketing wise an educator, but I do a lot of coaching within the education Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's everything is personal when it comes to our business. And so it goes into that. So if I, if someone is struggling something that doesn't have to do with business. I still stay within 
what my competencies are, but it does turn into, you may need to seek out this, you may need to seek out that. So it becomes a lot more coaching. And the way I differentiate the education from the coaching is to me, the education is more consulting. People are coming to me for a specific service. All of my services have deliverables. We go through exactly the same type of process to audit everyone's business. I use a certain framework to modify and customize everyone's business. But then the coaching side of it is the gray area of, you know, does this person need more um, leadership growth? Do they need to look for someone? Asking them more questions and the coaching, which I know you know, because you've gone through all of it is coaching doesn't have a specific start and end. There's not a specific set of deliverables where you're going to go through these processes. It's more like someone brings you problems or concerns and you kind of help them process the concerns and and everything, but you don't necessarily have all the answers. Yes. You help them figure out the answers within themselves. Yes. Or you help guide them like, Hey, I, you know, this is kind of what I did and I sought out. So like the coaching part of it, although it's, you know, it kind of bleeds into that. I'm not the one technically doing the coaching. I'm just coaching through helping them find the coaching that they need. And then the consulting side is literally like, this is what you're going to get. Like, this is what you're paying for. This is what you're going to get. Like if, if there's anything in addition to that, that just happens because of the conversations that we have, then by all means, that's what happens, but you can absolutely count on these things. Yes. I love so, that because they are very yeah. different, you know, and I think that's very different a little bit these days, you know, and I had no idea. And I think that that's something that's really important for our industry to understand our industry when it comes to kind of business is mm-hmm. always behind the times versus when we're, we're talking about um, fashion, we're always ahead of the time, right? Yeah. So we're kind of secondary in seeing what the processes are outside of our industry and coaching and even educating has become very circus-ish. And so it is very hard to kind of figure out to weed what through is, who's right. Who, well, not right. I don't want to say who's right, but yes. To weed through. What is kind of, this really? Right. Exactly. What exactly. is this really? What am I going to get? What am I not going to get? Is this right for me? Um, because coaching, because there's no given set of start and finish or deliverables on it. It's just finding somebody who's really good at bringing out those processes in people. So it's almost yes. like therapy-ish. In right. That it's it's like a, it's almost like a, like a toe into therapy, but obviously coaches are not, not therapists. Legitimate not therapy. therapists. Yeah. I am not but a therapist. Not a therapist. <laughs> but there is a lot of like identifying different things and maybe even recommending that therapy, obviously it's not therapy, but it's more along the lines of teaching people how to process through what's going on and identify things that are maybe outside of their, their kind of realm of visibility or whatever it is. Yep. Um, and that's very like, you don't with coaching, you really shouldn't know ahead of time what you're going to get out of it. Right. You don't really know. You're like kind of taking a chance on it. For education and consulting, you should absolutely have a given set of deliverables. This is, you know, what's going to happen because then you can say, okay, I want to learn this type of technique. I find this type of educator. I go pay for it. I've learned that technique. And that's kind of like a tool belt thing where coaching, man, you could coach on and off and like just continually be growing and continually be going through things that there's like no end to it where the other things there's that finite. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that. One of my favorite things when I'm on a consultation call with one of my perspective one-on-one clients is when they say, I, I go to therapy and I'm hiring you at the same time. And I'm like, done. We're a great fit. Perfect. This You're my perfect. people. Yes. Like. <laughs> yes. Because you know that like, if there's things that are brought up, they have the right, the right, um, they have the tools to process through it. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, legitimately business is business. Numbers are numbers. Like they are what they are, but there are so many nuances about who's going to be executing these numbers. What kind of clients are they dealing with? What is their home life like? Is someone sick? Are they taking care of an elderly parent? Like all of those things make such a huge difference in actually getting results from whatever that business plan is. And there is a degree that we're not capable of helping people beyond that point. Like there may be things that they need from a therapist that we just, yeah, we can't Exactly. Do. And I found too, um, I have found that everyone's going to need something different. Like, I think when I first started this, I was like, oh, everyone's going to leave with this, 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 and this, you know? And now I'm realizing I'm like, oh, some of my clients, you know, they just leave with now they have awareness around their money. And then this client over here now can have conversations about money. And this client over here can make a spending plan now. And it's like, everyone's going to need something different depending on kind of where they are in their lives. And like, like you said, like what's going on. And that actually is a kind of a perfect segue into something we started talking about a little bit before we started recording, Um, but cultural expectations and how that plays a part in our businesses. And I would love to dive into that a little bit. This is not a topic that I've talked about on here before. So I'm like very excited about this one. Kind of explain a little bit what you were saying to me at the beginning, as far as how cultural expectations play a part in somebody's business and in their lives in general. So I work one-on-one with people as well. And I would say I still do uh, the same processes, but you're right. Like everyone ends up with such nuance, you know, nuances and things, but the nuances oftentimes are coming from education, how booked they are, what kind of clients they have, um, who they are in their home whether they're the primary breadwinner, where it's supplemental, if they're taking care of children, all of those things play such a huge role in what can be accomplished in someone's business versus um, just like, here's the plan. Like, here's this blueprint in an Excel sheet, right? That is just the number side of it, but everything is so much more impacted by all of those different nuances. I mean, for me, when I originally started doing hair, it was just to be, and not just, because it's still a very strong part of the business, but are like of the home, um, it was meant to be supplemental. And it was right. meant to be something where I could have a flexible schedule, be a mother, stay home with my kids most of the time. It was part-time. Um, and for me, my clients being flexible with my schedule and emotionally was huge. The consistency was huge. Having people that came back at a regular rate, and mind you, this is prior to 2014, um, when I opened the salons and everything's changed, but those were kind of the needs that I had. And so I chose a certain type of business for it. Now going into 
um, education, I had that already because, you know, like I was talking about earlier, seeing all these different people in my business, some people who are never going to get married and never have kids, they're running their businesses completely different than, um, you know, my pregnant stylists. Yep. who are having kids and they're running kids to school and daycare before they are even coming into the shop. And so, I mean, I'm already, I feel like very empathetic, intuitive person. So I already would just in my mind, you know, perceive that people all had different lives, but specifically being in that situation, I saw that. So then going into um, education, doing these one-on-ones and realizing, so I, the area that I grew up in, not very uh, affluent area. So Southern California living, we're probably in good traffic, like an hour and 45 minutes out of downtown LA in a rural area where people moved because they commuted to Orange County and LA and had the cost of living was a lot lower. Mm-hmm. We did not have a Macy's until I think 2009, there was like a, something called Harris Godchocks. It's like a Dillard's if you're like, okay, I'll say I've never heard of that. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So it was like an old school department store. Um, we are to get anywhere else because we are up on the other side of some mountains, right? Woods on one side and, um, big bear and Lake Arrowhead are on the other side. And so sometimes that pass would be icy, whatever. So like, I mean, it's just, the way that we grew up was so different. We weren't in an area that was rural, but we could drive into like a big city easily. Sometimes it takes 45 minutes. Sometimes it takes an hour and a half. So just, I feel like the way that we grew up was in such a bubble when it, it disconnected. Came to like, yep. Disconnected. We didn't have, um, so I went to an ROP cosmetology school. There was another cosmetology school there. Amarinello's opened, but not until, which is like more of a legitimate, you know, like structured, even though they ended up, um, like taking out loans and a bunch of students name, they closed whatever, oh, but God. we didn't have access to like a Tony and guy or a Paul Mitchell or an Aveda. Those right. were all an hour and a half or more away from us. So even like the way that we perceived our, what our business could be was based on what was available to us in that area. Yeah. And there was no social media to show us the potential of what was going on in other people's salons. There was no Google. We weren't seeing pictures of clients hair that were getting, you know, done in salons. And if we didn't go to a salon and have a salon experience in a luxury salon in LA, which most of us couldn't afford. To I was going to say, don't, yeah. yeah, we would have had no idea what it was like, right. you know, like, um, one person, you know, greeting you, washing you, going to your stylist, and then another person drying you, or mm-hmm. one person doing your haircut, one person doing your color, like that was like crazy to us, yeah. right? So that was the, just, you know, our given set of circumstances, not having anything to do with like my ethnicity, that was just kind of this, you know, socioeconomic kind of thing. But then as I'm doing these one-on-ones and I'm very aware of all of that because of, you know, my, um, like my experience, I'm starting to realize, okay, this whole like discount thing and expectation is so much more deeply rooted than understanding our words or knowing our numbers Mm -hmm. because Yeah. So do you have anything to say about anything? I I mean, it's money mindset, right? Like it's, it's projecting our own money stories kind of on our clients and our business and all of that. It's not, yes. I mean, it, it, this, I, it's one of my favorite topics, obviously, but <laughs> cause it is, it is so, it's so deep, like so, so deep. deep. 
Yeah. So deep. And the thing is, is that deeply rooted issues have to be approached with compassion, not logic. Yeah. Logic doesn't, I mean, taking the logic portion of it for us to say, this is what's happening so we can identify it because you can't really fix the problem until it's identified. But you can't really fix that problem either until you've reconciled those things within yourself. And you have to have compassion over yourself to be able to reconcile those things within yourself. That's literally, you can't um, get someone out of an anxiety attack by telling them that the anxiety isn't good for them. Right. Like you can't tell them that um, anxiety holds you back in your business. Like if a coach or an educator went on and said, you, you have to just get yourself to stop being anxious about these things because it's, it's holding you back in your business. You're doing them a disservice because we, it is such a complex process for us to, to go through, Um, you know, trauma in families goes generations deep. And this is not just that in people, when I first heard about generational trauma, I was like, huh, like I didn't really get it, but I'm like, everybody's got to have whatever it is that they process. But the more that I learned about the science behind it Mm -hmm. and that like there was, we're going to go deep. There was a test with mice that -hmm. were sprayed that smell and zapped. Did you ever hear about this test? Maybe that sounds familiar, but keep going. Whatever. uh, um, A study. Yeah. Study where they took mice and they would spray a scent and zap them Mm -hmm. so that they would have a visceral, you know, a negative reaction to the scent. Right. Then they um, petri dished their offspring. So they didn't even carry their own offspring. They were, um, you know, inseminated into another, another mouse. Mm-hmm. And that offspring had the same negative neurological reaction to the scent, even though they were, did not even grow up in that environment. And this is an evolutionary, um, like, I mean, I still I, like, I have different views about a lot of things, so I won't go too deep in it, but it is an evolutionary process that if you're in danger mm-hmm. and your area had something that smelled that hurt you, that is actually a positive thing to teach your offspring through their DNA to not go to that. The problem is, is that if it's a traumatic thing, that's actually not, you know, the opposite safety. we're taking, we're safety, but we're taking it and we're going to, we're going to do that automatically without realizing the processes through it. And it's so it's embedded into our cells. Yeah. We're not just going to get rid of it overnight. Like right. it is something that is potentially going to take generations to work through. Did you read? Um. Um. Oh my gosh, it's a great book. Uh, what happened to you? No. Highly I recommend it. If should. you're listening, okay. highly recommend it. It's actually Oprah and um some psychologist having a, an interview. The whole book, and it is a, about just this, and it talks about how like. You could have something happen to you very similar, like when you were an infant, right? Something that you will like, like never, never even remember, never remember. And maybe somebody hurt you that wore a certain cologne or something. And you know, you're 40 years old. And every time you smell that cologne, your body has the same exact reaction it did when you were an infant. And like, it's so interesting because even when it comes to money, that's something that I talk, I talk to my clients a lot about this because it's like, okay, let's talk about where is this anxiety coming from? Okay. So you feel unsafe when this happens are, what is the reality? And a lot of times the reality is, is they're not, they're fine. Right. You know what I mean? Not always, but like a lot of times it's like, oh, it's just whatever was embedded in them, whatever happened in the past, whatever. It's the trigger. It's a trigger. Exactly. 
Yeah. And it's, it's, I find that stuff fascinating. I love it. It's like, it is so fascinating to me as well. And this is where, you know, educating coaching is so much more complex than you did something that worked in your business. And I'm going to teach everybody else how to do that because it worked in my business. It really has to be something that allows for so many different nuances. And for people that have had those different experiences, I mean, if you legitimately want to be um, an educator or a coach that's uh, marketing themselves to a diverse group, if you say literally Like, I'll just give you an example. If I say I have become this amazing extension artist and I was able to do it, you know, and I live in, you know, a small town, then yeah, say, okay, these are the given set of things. This is how I was able to do it. But literally, if you are not trying to replicate my exact business, this, this is, you know, you're going to learn some things in it, but this is not necessarily going to meet, you know, all of those all of those needs. And then of course, if people have trauma, whatever, that's really not your thing because you still are saying, this is kind of what my delivering is. Right. What's right. dangerous is within our industry is like, we would be able to say, if someone is um, an expert at lightning on level seven or lighter hair, mm-hmm. but does not do level five or darker. And my clientele is 90% level five or darker. I'm pro, I mean, not to say I couldn't learn something from this educator, but the likelihood that it's really going to be impactful in my business is very low because, you know, they don't, they're not really teaching me the things that I'm going to need because there's so many different things that come with that compared to well, your situation is very different. Your situation is very yeah. different. So in all of that, it's really important that as stylists and as business owners that we are a little bit more protective over who we allow in our emotional or mental space when it comes to these things, regardless of how uh, successful they say, or they are in their business, because sometimes they say that they're successful and they're really not. And, you know, we all find out those debacles later. It's like a whole scheme, but the reality is, is that the most important thing is who you are and what you're struggling in your business and allowing yourself to be compassionate over that. So one of the things that I brought up when we were talking is, and I know my client won't mind because she was telling me how she wanted me to be the next Tabitha coffee. (laughs) She's just, she's so sweet, so sweet. But we were talking about the specific topic of discounting, Mm -hmm. which does go in line with money trauma, Mm -hmm. but in certain cultures, you doing something for a discounted rate is how you show care. Mm -hmm. So I would even say, and and you're going to see it more in people who are in less affluent areas, Mm -hmm. which if we look at economics, less, or what is it? Um, oh my gosh, what were the numbers again? Because I have it on a post. You may even know it. How many people in the United States households make over a hundred thousand dollars a year? Oh, I don't know that number. I think it was only like 40%. I was going to say it's probably fairly low. 40 it's actually low. sounds higher than I yeah. guess. I think it, 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 it may even be even lower than that. I have a post on it, but of course I can't remember because it's been <laughs> a while because I have two of them. And then two of them is about, you know, how many people are making over or under a hundred thousand as a household. So there's two people contributing to that. Not just because mm-hmm. I think right. that it's like less than 6% of people are doing that on their own. Right, right making home a hundred thousand dollars. And then over 60% of the pop, maybe this is the numbers I'm flipping them over 60% of the population looks paycheck to paycheck. Mm, Yeah. 
That sounds right. And yeah, <laughs> something like um, 30% of people making over $250,000 or more are living paycheck to paycheck. There's like, we just, I need to pull up those stats. Maybe you can put it in the body. I'll send them to you. But the reality is, is that the majority of at least the United States are not extremely affluent with extra money. Because even if you make $100,000 as a household, that may be not enough to pay for all the things that it covers. And you may not have very much, you know, freedom in spending. And so these things, if you're wanting to get your backyard, I just moved. If you're wanting to get your backyard done, I'm not going to just be like, who's the best person in the area? I'm going to have to say, this is really what I want done, but this is my budget. And, and I may ask friends, Hey, did they give you, was it a good deal? How much did it cost? Right. And this is outside of the beauty industry. Right. And I'm not trying to devalue these people's work by asking that. Right. Yes. The it's, way it's, that we're, it's so interesting because it's so Yes. So I was an emotional discounter forever, you know, for like 14 years in the salon. And then finally, like I started doing all the education. I started learning all the things. And now like I charge my mom full price, which people don't agree with me, but like she can go somewhere. I love my mom to death. Like I'm not, I don't barter with people. Like I will, if I'm doing a photo shoot with you, I'm going to pay you. And then if you're coming in to get your hair done the very next day and you just pay it back to me, fine. That's how we're going to do it. Like I'm very, very, very funny about that. But what I'm noticing, (laughs) I'm like, the worst. So like I was with my mom yesterday and she was introducing these people who own like a bounce house company or whatever, just met them. And my mom is like, if I give you more people, will you give me a discount? And I'm like, mom, first of all, stop. This is their business. Like I'm like business. I'm forever business. My last girl, I'm like, you need to raise your prices. Like, (laughs) and it's so interesting to me because I, now I notice it so much of this like expectation of like, same thing. Referral, right? Like I'm giving you referrals, even though she's never purchased anything with them. She's not a client. She literally just like met them and got their business card and she's already asking for a discount. And I'm just like, no. And I would have probably done that in the past, you know, but it's because there is something that until you really recognize it and have time to process through it, it's literally just, well, why would I spend I mean, Amazon is the epitome of why would I spend more somewhere else? Right. And look at how big it is. So we have to realize that we are living in addition to the cultural things, which we'll go back to after this. But um, in addition to that, we've got Marshalls, Ross, TJ Maxx. Literally, we have businesses that are built on getting stuff from another place that didn't sell for full price right and getting it for a discount at a discount so how do we then turn this into these people just don't value me Mm. or they're not willing to charge my worth when we are in a world of as things evolve we've actually paid less for them so my friend when I was in Texas um I just did this event for salon owners and it's funny because she learned about um, the fiber optic cables being under the ocean that they literally do. Yeah, I didn't know that until I bought this book called The Earth is Flat. And it's about how to, uh, the, the tech boom uh-huh. and crash, the bubble bursting, created all of this 
less expensive um, for us to get data, for us to right. get it because all these big businesses spent all this money and then it was purchased back because they all bankrupt. And so we literally, all of our technology that we get right now is because a bunch of businesses failed for right. the price that we're getting it for, right? right? And everything's competitive. So like, you know, you're looking for how much does it cost for my cell phone, for my cell phone bill? Can I get this phone at a different business with more accessories? Like our, literally our lives are surrounded by negotiating how we're going to get sometimes very luxury things on a budget because most of the United States does not make a lot of money. And anyone that's telling you it's just easy and everybody has the money to spend is delusional. There is a five to 10% top tier people. I made this um, analogy somewhere else. So if I have a Bugatti, mm -hmm. I'm not asking for a mechanic that's going to give me a good deal. Right. If I have a $20 million house and I'm putting in a pool, I'm not asking for someone who's going to give me a good deal. So these are, that's really the only area that we have that people are not going to be asking about it at all. So do you have anything to well, say? Well, and that? I would almost, I would almost say, and yes, there are people that are not making a lot of money, but I'm going to even go the route of like, there are people that are making money. They don't know how to manage it. <laughs> Cause I was that person for a very long time where I would be like, I'm so broke. I'll never be able to afford this. I can't do this. I can't do that. What I realized is I was putting my money to the wrong things. And when I realized that, and I kind of like got honest with myself and started changing my habits, then I was able to afford those things that I never said that I could afford. So I would, and not that I, not everybody, I know that poverty is real. No, I you think know, that you're right but, though. No, but, I would yeah. say if, if, you know, however many 60% of America is living paycheck to paycheck. That's, I mean, there is, there are people that legitimately just are not getting paid enough for the cost right. of living. Right. So, we'll, but we'll say, we're not talking about those people. Right. We're talking right. about everyone else that just did not have a, a negative, bad relationship with money. Mm -hmm. You know, they're either overspending or they're too anxious to spend. And so they're questioning everything. There's very few people who have a healthy relationship with money where they can say, I feel confident putting this money away for this value that I see in my life on a repetitive basis that may be out of their, what they think is considered affordable for the service. Right. Like one person in one area may think $125 for a haircut is affordable, where the other area, most people think $65 for a haircut is, is affordable. It's reasonable. And so anyone trying to charge that 125 in that $65 area, you're going to only end up with a small amount of people that will say, this is valuable to me with this person. And I'm willing to set aside this money on a regular basis because I see the value in that most, right. I mean, yeah, even in semi-luxury salons in that $65 area. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's all perspective as well. Right. Like, like I'm not an extension. I've never done extension. I don't get extensions. I, you know, I, I would love to have them, but I personally don't want to pay the money for them. Like, I don't want the maintenance. I don't want to spend the money. You know what I mean? But there's a ton of people that they value that. And that is what they want. And you know what I mean? And so I think that it, it comes down to, are you marketing to the right people? And it comes down to what is your idea of success? So I think yes. it's a little bit of both because it's, 
Absolutely. Yeah. My idea of success is like, okay, well, I just want to go work one day a week and then coach the other and be home. Like, you know what I mean? Where, where some people, they, their idea of success is, you know, I don't know, being a stay at home mom. Fuck that. Like, I don't, good for them. I don't want that. Like, you know, or some people would say, you know, their idea of success. And I've talked about this before. So when you are the majority of the people who have a hard time generating or, or managing your money or generating enough money to cover your bills, right? When you're a stylist who is built to a certain safe level where you've worked all of these years and you've built up this clientele and life is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just stop pretending that you get to this place of abundance and all of a sudden you feel great. You know, abundance comes from being uncomfortable or being comfortable with a discomfort, mm-hmm. being able to find that peace in all of the chaos. It doesn't come from being able to cherry pick everything in your life that makes you ooey gooey feel good and that you feel in alignment with. Literally abundance comes from being able to say, and I I wanna make a post about this, but I'm like, how much do I go into this? So we just moved Mm -hmm. and it's a nice house, but it is not my dream house by any means. Mm -hmm. If I were to show you a picture of my dream house, like my dream house here is probably $3 million, right? Am I ever going to get that $3 million house? No, because I'm never going to do what it takes and compromise what I want out of life on other things to get that dream house. It Mm. can still be my dream house. I'm going to challenge you. Okay. I'm going to challenge you to not say no, but just say it's not a priority. Yeah. Because it might one day be a priority. But see, for me- but will, if you just say no, it's never yeah. going to, you know what I mean? Like, but, so yeah. just like, you know what? That's just not a priority, but you never know one day it could one, one, you just never know. You're, you don't want to block it. So I, which I agree with, if people are blocking things that could be potentials that they really do subconsciously see value in, they just know that it's not a priority today. But for me, I just like looking at the house and saying, It's beautiful. The kitchen is perfect. The layout is perfect. The design, but I really do like architecture, floor plans, designing, like we had to do that with the salon. So for me, it's almost more of an abstract dream house than it really is a tangible dream Mm -hmm. house. And so that's where I was even thinking in the car while I was driving, are these dreams or are these fantasies? How we need to almost like figure out what's a dream. And really that $3 million house to me, I'm able to say it's a fantasy. Like, and I'm okay with that because I'm okay with saying that's just my fantasy house instead of saying it's my dream house. Now, my dream now would be to have, at least in this house, my yard isn't landscaped, like potentially have a pool, those things I'm able to say, you know, whatever. So hopefully that didn't go too off, but no, um, no, you're the, the only reason I say that is because for so many years where I live now was, I cannot afford that. I will never live there for so many years. And it wasn't until I was like, I literally, it was when I started getting up, getting my financial shit together. And I, I really, it shifted from, from that cannot be a reality to it is my actual reality. And I live yeah. in the house and I live yeah. in it. So I, but the reason that I never, ever even try to get my financial shit together is because for so long, you just, just thought that it was not, yeah, it, it wasn't a potential. It just isn't. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And now, so now everything, 
you know, like I'd love to be on the water in the back of this neighborhood, which is probably two to 3 million, you know, <laughs> and I like, it's probably not three here, but, um, but I don't say I will never live there. Now I just go living there is not a priority right now because you just yeah. never know. You just yeah. never know. You well, know? And I, I think that that's a topic that you brought up that is really like that part of it is really important because I do think that I, while I was having this conversation with myself, I'm like, I don't want my approach to this to, to blur or like uh, bleed into limiting beliefs. Because the reality is, is that we do need to separate whether it's fantasy land, like that we're saying, okay, this is something that, you know, like, I don't want to work for the rest of my life and I want to travel. Right. Like the likelihood is that that's fantasy land. Mo most likely that that's fantasy land. Right it's fine. Like I could talk about all the places I would travel and I could have fun with it, but it's never going to take away from me because it's, it's for fun where you don't want to have the limiting beliefs that are legitimate things that you could like, you don't want to tell yourself that you just can't, that you're not able to, that it's not something that you're like uh, capable of doing. Cause honestly, I'd be capable. I'd be fully capable of doing those things. Like you said, it's just not a priority. That's right. not the way that I want to, like, I never even thought that I would be someone that would open a bunch of businesses because I was like homeschool mom, home birth mom, kind of hippie, make food from scratch. All my kids are breastfed. I had the two at home, last two at home. Like, I just wasn't a person to prioritize um, work. Well, and not just work because I did in a certain way, but like um, being successful to that degree, like being, um, I'm trying to think of the word, I'll think of it later, but like professionals, that type of um, elevating my profession. Right. It was more of this is the need that it that I have in my house and I do love doing hair. So how am I going to kind of, you know, reconcile these things together to make it work with what those multiple, you know, priorities are. But I never thought to myself I couldn't do it. Right. I knew 100% that I would be able to put my mind to it and figure it out as long as I could figure out the numbers and I was willing to, you know, put in do the work. What yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, you know, I, sometimes I get around people who are like very like masculine and like very like, um, I want a Porsche and I want the jet and like, you know, I'm going to live in the penthouse and I get around them and I'm like, Ooh, am I supposed to want that? You know what I mean? Like, am I, am I, am, am, do I think too small? Because like, that doesn't excite me. Yeah. Like, I just want, I want a forerunner and a pool in my backyard. Like, is yeah. that like, you yeah. know, so I, I think sometimes like, we can, we can like get in this, like, am I supposed to want that for my life? Because these people want it, you know, and it sounds exciting. They make it sound so exciting. And then I see what they're doing to get it. And I'm like, but I don't, I don't want to do that. So, and I don't want that. So why am I even questioning myself? <laughs> isn't it crazy that that's what, so that's almost literally like what my whole mindset, you're, you articulated exactly what my mindset was as I was like processing through it without really recognizing that that's what it was, was do we really want these goals for ourselves or are they just goals that we're like fantasizing about? Cause it really, again, if we're not really willing to do what all it would take to do there, it is really a fantasy right. and we don't want to delusion ourselves with the fantasy because then we are blocking ourselves 
right. from the things that we actually would fulfill us and actually make us happy. So going back to talking about building your clientele and getting all of these clients, it takes work to cycle through new clients to consistently have a, a decent raise all of the time. Right. You may live in an area where price increases, um, like, you know, a, a decent price increase or adding additional services like extensions or K-18 or treatments would give you higher revenue for the time that you're working. But for the majority, you're going to cap out at a certain point with being able to do that. And if you want to make, make, make more between inflation, cost of product, all of those things, you have to have pretty hefty price increases that can only be supported by cycling through a clientele. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you can't turn it in and out into a steakhouse with the same clientele, right? They're right. they're gonna they're not like you're you're marketing to one clientele. You're gonna have to eventually market to another clientele, mm-hmm. and not everyone is capable of doing that, and that's okay because it's freaking hard as an individual. As an individual, because this can't be done in like a commission salon environment. There's right. just not the support for a consistently like uh, fluctuating or cycling clientele for that. There's just not. You right. can have the little increments where, you know, you raise the top tier. When the top tier gets raised, everybody goes up. And then they, if they, it's too expensive, then they can go to the lower tiers. But typically you're not going to see those big number jumps unless you are a specialty stylist that is in a very advantageous mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. who is willing to do all of the business stuff that even business owners hate doing and usually hire out once they make enough money. Yes. And the willing part, right? So I went into a suite and that was, I went, I went, I was commissioned for four, 14 years, 15 years and went directly into a suite. I'd never booth rented. I'd never been my own boss, nothing. And I realized very quickly how burnt out I was because I was doing the same thing I was doing in a commission salon, not realizing, oh, now I'm everything. Now I'm the receptionist. Now I'm the assistant. Now yeah, I'm the I can't do person. what I was doing behind the chair and do all the things right. for the business and not right. lose my mind. Yeah, exactly. So I had to learn how to completely flip my business around. And it's interesting because the willing part is where this comes in is it is very hard when you have had clients for 15 years to change things in a way where you know you're going to lose some of these clients. So it turns into this, I'm a business person and then I'm a human being who values relationships. And it is hard to navigate. It is we really, need to have really an difficult. entirely separate thing, a podcast for that specifically, because yes. I think that that's really huge. It's so hard. Now, if you would have done this, only two or three years into that clientele, it would have been easier because so easy. you wouldn't have had that 15 years worth of it, right? Uh-huh. So while that whole situation could have gone completely differently in a different given set of circumstances, that's the reality. When yep. you have clients for that long and no one was building clientels that long ago with that mindset. Right. So like the only reason that this is even a thing is because people are taught not to build clientels in the way that we build clientels. And that's the same thing with the freaking generational trauma. It's going to take a while for this to process out of our conditioning before it becomes something that is more accepted within our industry, but also by consumers. Like there's got to be something, oh, let's just say coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a good, great People example. <laughs> $7 for coffee right. 20 
years ago, whatever that relational, like whatever that number would have been. It was probably know, 50 with, cent. And, yeah. and if you tried to tra- uh, charge people $2 for coffee, they were probably like, no. So that's why Starbucks was not everywhere. It was only in very strategic locations where people were willing to pay elevated prices for coffee. And now they're everywhere. Everywhere. It doesn't matter what your cost of living is, what your socioeconomic, I mean, I'm sure in like violent areas or like really, really, really low, you know, cost of living areas, but otherwise they're everywhere. I mean, in that area that I grew up in, I don't even know how many there are. There's got to be like 13 or 14 of them. And some of them, they ended up closing a couple because they ended up opening ones that were so close together. Yes. Yes. That when um, like 2008 happened, because I'm thinking that's when, when 2008 happened, like in the market crashed, then, you know, there was less demand for it, which is again, when economic times change. While a business that's a multi-billion dollar business, Starbucks goes to, you know, they're, they have all these analysts, they open all of these places and then all of a sudden they can't be supported. And this right. is something that could even happen if the economic times change for the beauty industry where, man, we, this industry got some cojones to raise their prices and everybody's doing that. But what happens on the other side, when some of your clients start struggling, paying those prices, there's going to be less Starbucks popping up everywhere. You're going to have to really buckle down and kind of look at what that looks like. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's interesting. I, so I've been behind the chair for 20 years this year, which is crazy to me. I don't feel like I'm that old. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's interesting to see all the things that I've seen. Cause I've been the first salon I I'm a long, I stayed in salons for so long. So like my first salon, I was there for seven years and it was, they were very old school. They wrote everything down in like pa- pen and paper. Like I actually left because they weren't like it was too old school. Yeah. Right. But I remember, I just talked about this too on the last podcast I just recorded um, because it's just funny to me. I remember when he, we were in a shopping center that was okay. There was like a Marshall's and a grocery store, you know, nothing super high end it was attached to a neighborhood that wasn't super high end. Um, and I remember he raised his prices. This is back in what, 2006, something like that to like $95 a haircut. And I remember thinking as like right out of school, like what? You can't do that. We're not, we're not in New York city. You know, like I just remember thinking that is wild, but he was older. He was like 60 and he wanted less clients. So he wanted to have less clients work less and make the same amount of money. And it did, I did not understand him doing that until I went out on my own. Like, I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Why would I want to learn from him anymore? Time for me to move on. And and then I went out on my own and I was like, Oh, oh. <laughs> like now, I definitely do that while I'm still new and in the building phase. But when I'm at the age where I really have to start, right, know, like my body, and I am at this height of my craft, and I have the demand, and I've built this business for how many years where I have this amazing reputation. Yes. But if you were 40 something years old, and wanted to do that, but move to a new place without the clientele, you may not be able to do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I think that this is what I find interesting about Instagram. Okay. What I find interesting is that there is information like that coming at people constantly, like raise your prices. So you can have less clients, blah, blah, blah. 
just what is your circumstance? Because I could not have done that three years in, you know, three years in, I was still, Instagram wanted a thing. I was still handing out business cards. I mean, granted, yes, people can build a fairly big business now in like a year, which is crazy to me, which I'm good for them. I mean, I wish I had that. I'm not hating on that at all, but I do think that we, we, let me ask you this. Whose responsibility do you think it is though with this information, the educators, the people talking about it or the stylists to understanding where they are in their business? So the educators, um, I, I with the educators and I'm like, this is kind of a long thing. So <laughs> I, I'm going to bring something kind of off topic in here, but you said we've talked about Yeah, Yeah, you things. can go. Yeah, we okay. can bounce all around. <laughs> so in, and I think this is why I am so much like this. And you may have a similar story, like not contextually, but like just what it did to you. So in 2007, my brother and my dad both died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Not that for like four months apart from each other. And I was like, still went to church regularly. I grew up non-denominational Christian. I need to, you know, like I just, and I was still regularly going. It wasn't like I was like not going at the time, but I was like, I have to get close to God because I was so heartbroken. My mom remarried and moved. I had a 18 month old and a two month old when my brother had passed away. And then the market crashed. My husband at the time he was working as, um, Like he did loans for subprime mortgages that was gone. There's literally not even subprime mortgages anymore since then, like the type of ones that he was doing. So it was like just this crazy time. So I started reading my Bible and I mean, I was like, I'm an all or nothing type of person. So I was like, I got in there and not too far in, there was something that the church and most non-denominational churches teach it that the scriptures contradicted what was said. So I went on this whole deep dive of trying to figure out how I was misunderstanding it. But again, I was competent to do all of this at the time, but it was a given set of circumstances that even took me there because if that wouldn't have happened, I probably never would have questioned my beliefs at the time. Mm. And so pretty much the long and short is like, anyone's guess why it's a doctrine in the church and why so many people believe it whatever if people you know Christmas I don't know if you know about that and like Easter you know they're all pagan pagan holidays like they're not biblical ones and like I said earlier I don't want to be told like I don't want to be lied about Santa like I don't want to be right I just want to know because I like I want to know the things because then I can I don't know I don't I don't like fairy tales so there was one day that I had still gone back and I didn't go back regularly anymore. Cause it just, I just felt like I couldn't trust what was, what was being told to me all the time. And I was still going through a process, but the pastor gets up and literally has a sermon on this specific topic and does not bring up one scripture the entire time. And I'm like, this is so frustrating because yes, it's my responsibility as my own relationship with God, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't, not meaning even religion, but you know, my own responsibility, what I take in my life, you know, what kind of food I put in my body, what kind, you know, all the things, right. There's all these things that are damaging. It is my own responsibility to be a conservator over myself. But like, if there was poison in something, it needs to be labeled, right? If there's, right. if there's this and it can be harmful, it needs to be labeled. 
if you're a teacher over a congregation and all of these people trust you and value you, value what you have to say, it's really important that you're careful because for me, it freaking rocked my world. And all of these other people have absolutely no idea the context behind it because they just trust what most of these people are saying. So that was my tangent on my backstory, but it's so important for me to offer context because it's it is our responsibility. If we're the pastor of a church, it's your responsibility not to just tell people what you think, but to give them the background to it because ultimately they're going to be, it's going to be them and God, right? Or them and whatever, if that, you know, what you believe, like it's going to be them and God, not you with them. They're not there with you. So you've got to be really, really careful. It's the same thing with business. You can be a business coach, but ultimately it's going to be that business and their clients. Right. Or that business and their stylists. Right. And literally you're not going to be there. You're not going to be there when the business crumbles because they did something that you did not give them any context for. I mean, I have a legitimate amount of people, like, like why don't I say legitimate? I have a decent amount of people that have come to me legitimately messed up from coaching with other people who did not give them context around anything. And so and, and they don't even know the difference. They literally, I would have not known the difference unless I had gone down that whole path to research and figure it out. Right. And how, when do these people have time to do that? Right. After they've paid somebody X amount of dollars to learn, when do they have time to do that? I mean, when do I even have time? To, at the time, the only reason I even had time to do that in my personal life was because I worked behind the chair only two or three days a week, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I it's, t- it's, that's a tough one. I think, because there is like an aspect of personal responsibility, right? But like you said, there's also like, if you don't know any better, you don't know any better, right? So I, I, it's hard though, because especially there are so much, especially after 20, I mean, I came out of 2020 as an educator, you know what I mean? Like as a coach, like, um, so I'm not like hating on anyone who came out at that time by any means. Um, but it was this boom in people you know, saying all this stuff, not even coaches, just stylists in general, just saying their opinions, you know, and people, I, I made a post about this, I think last month about like, Instagram is not a business coach. You know, you cannot read a post and then like do the thing. And then everything is fixed. Like there's so much more to it. And I like that what we talked about earlier about like customizing for people, because everyone is in a completely different position. You know, I mean, I can talk about spending plans all day long, but everyone's spending plan is going to be completely different. Like nobody can't give you a template and that's what you go off of. Cause if I did, you would fail. Yes. (laughs) Or or it would work for 5%. And this is Mm -hmm. the problem that I'm seeing is, and I had to, like, there's a couple of people I asked in the DMS, why did you structure this this way? Cause they're a coach Mm -hmm. now business coach. And they did something a certain way. And I'm like, but you did it here and you did, you did this here and you did this here. Like this may be hard for people. And I mean, it was like nasty response. I just unfollowed. I was like, all right, like nobody wants to hear it, but this is, it's hard because most people who want to be coaches do it out of ego. And I I might get canceled for that one, but most people do it out of ego. And the problem with ego is, is that ego, while you need a certain amount of ego to be assertive enough Mm -hmm. to put your ideas out there, stand by them and be influential, 
-hmm. that ego has to stay in check because it has, it cannot be at the cost of the people who you may steer in the wrong direction. Yeah. So the issue is that, um, and this is something I've learned. I don't know if I'll end up joining this group, but there are transparent coaching, transparency coaches, or, you know, or, uh, educators that are coming out and kind of talking about the unhealthy passive aggressive. I mean, psychological abuse that some of these coach and some of it is because they're literally telling you, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of where you came from, regardless of this, 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 if you do my plan, this is what you'll get. Right. And you've got to just follow my plan. And you're like, <laughs> that is totally a narcissistic thing. Right. Like I have a solution for you. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to come in here and fix everybody's business. And I'm going to get everybody here. And it's like, wait a minute, like anything that's an improvement in somebody's business is an improvement. And that's what a consultant, a coach, somebody that has authentically shown up, those things are valuable. Like you said, you may be able to get to this really high degree with one coaching client that you have while another one is literally just at the minimal level. And that is both still just as successful because it is so impactful for each of their lives equally. Exactly. As impactful, right? Yeah. So with that ego narcissistic show up, you are drawing people who are vulnerable. So when I was asking her, she's like most of the, cause she did coaching outside of the beauty industry. So she okay. paid this boatload, you know, went in and then found like got in there and was like, this is a bunch of trauma. Like the way that they're processing this is not in alignment with, you know, teaching and concrete deliverables and kind of different things that people should be having or be just a legitimate coach, you know, and have a coaching certification. There's right. like all the lines are blurred between everything, but this is what she said. Those narcissistic personalities draw the codependent people and draw the people that are like, just so the problem is, is that, you know, the codependent people or people that are just in that vulnerable state do not have the wherewithal to filter through because they are easily manipulated. Right. And they're easily manipulated by people who could be saying who knows what and make, and are willing to make claims that are totally like not even legitimate. And so, yeah, I mean, essentially you could be a really good marketer and be a educator now. And really (laughs) there is no room in education for, for it's hard because every, every type of marketing has a little bit of manipulation in it. But if this is a post that I also, I never posted because it's, it's literally out of what I would consider my education wheelhouse. Like I'm not a coach. So I dabble once in a while in things that I see, but for the most part, I'm trying to do my little, my little box, my little box that I, that I fit in. Um, but, um, that with manipulative marketing that, uh, elicits an inspired feeling, um, an encouraged feeling. That is what ethical coaches should be doing. Mm-hmm. A manipulative marketing that sparks fear, um, resentment, fear, um, stress. Shame. Though that is wrong. That is unethical marketing. And you can see unethical marketing, you know, outside of the beauty industry, but but um, especially in the beauty industry, I think it's very vulnerable because we're dealing with a lot of people who are individuals who don't have anything to filter through. Like it's just so much of a more 
I mean, again, it's even like the MLMs with stay-at-home moms. Like yeah. it's almost the same, the same type of dynamic. Oh, the MLMs are like, oh, <laughs> I, could, I could go on and on about that. That drives me nuts. But it, exactly, that's exactly what it is. And I yeah, think they that- tell you, stop being relational with your world, right. turn everybody that you know into a business. And that's yep. essentially what some of the manipulative marketing kind of, you know, they're just like, you just do this. You just do this. You do anything like I don't know. It's everybody's different. There's so many different things of people doing it, but this is where I've even said, if, if something elicits, um, inspirational response, like, um, you know, giving you context around things, absolutely ethical marketing. Otherwise, if it's just, you know, um, to what is it, what do they call it when it's like the, um, a post just to like inflame people to get them oh, going. Um, um, uh, bait, not clickbait. A clickbait. Yes. Yes. Clickbait, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's an interest. It's interesting. It's interesting to see what is going on. And I will, I, it's funny because when I first started doing this, I like obviously confidence, right? Like it, I, my first client was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. Like the one-on-one. Yes. Like it was, it was horrible. And, and I felt like it was like all me. And like, it was just a, it was a horrible experience for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and what I realized is that I didn't fully understand how to coach. I did not fully understand that it was asking the right questions and it was listening more and pulling things out. I thought it was just like, well, I know something and I tell people this stuff. And that is not what is, I think a lot of people think that's what coaching is. I have a ton of people coming to me and they're like, I want to be a coach. And I'm like, you do know that this is like going into hair for the first time. Like this is a whole new business. Like you cannot just know something and then coach. Like you, there is so much more to it. And there's some ethical stuff. There's so like that particular person needed therapy. They did not need me. Like, Like very much needed therapy. And, um, I didn't know how to articulate that. Now I do, you know, now I'm like, now I, what, what are we doing? What are we talking about? Let's go. <laughs> like, you know, but what I think that people don't understand is that it, you can't just know something and then just teach it, teach it. Like it, yeah. it does not work that way. There's so many other factors and you realize even now, you know, three years in and I'm like, there's so many different people out there. My clients I have right now are so unbelievably different. And our conversations are so unbelievably different. I have some people, they want to know how to tell me action and they do it immediately. And then I have some people that they don't want to know the action. They need to talk out their feelings. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and yes. none of it's wrong. Yes. And it, it helps all of them differently. And it's, yes. but people go in and like, I'm going to teach this and everyone's going to be just like me as a student. And that's not how it works. And it's not how it works at all. And see, I had the benefit of before I did this. And that's why I say it was all just not because I'm just this person who just showed up and had that. Right. It's because for six years before I had three different salons and I had to learn from all of these people so much that when I went into it, my perspective was so much different. And, um, And honestly, it's the one thing I would say that was like naive was that I just thought that that's how all the other people that were showing up, that they had that level of experience. Because I honestly, I was thinking like, what would I have said if I was 28 or 30? Because I'm 40 now. So I'm like, I also feel like being 
older. It's, I mean, I am so different of a person than I was when I opened the salons, you know, when I was 32, eight years ago, like I am so different. And then obviously going through everything, but like, what the heck, if I had the ability to show up with the knowledge that I had without some of this experience at 28 or 30, like what, what, I mean, I would probably be so disconnected too, but that's the thing is, is that people are wanting, looking for people that look relevant for them to get knowledge versus looking for people who actually have competency for it. And that's hard because, I mean, you could have a hairstylist that does not do great on their own hair and maybe they just whatever, and they do an amazing job on hair and somebody else's whose hair looks beautiful and they're horrible at it, but we don't, we go to people whose hair looks beautiful. That, that was something that always killed me when people like you go in a salon and then you see who has the best hair and you go to them. No, because they didn't do their own fucking hair. No, you ask you them who did them their hair, hair and you go by. across the way the girl who has it in a messy yes. bun because she's yes. been so busy that she can't, she that she doesn't even have time to do her, her own hair. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So it's funny though, because like, those are even things that I, you can't fault people for because right. it's automatic things where we're looking for, you know, whose feed looks this way. And maybe it's just that they did pay somebody for marketing, but they're the content and what it is, it's not necessarily for you. Yeah. And if people do not go into education, coaching with a very strong understanding of what their offerings are, mm-hmm. who they're specific, you know, who they're specifically targeting and very strong ethical convictions about what they should and limited, like I have another post that I didn't ever post where I don't have an income goal for my, my business, my education business. I right. do not have it because it's people. And it's different. The way that I'm doing things is very different. Like I don't want to get people in just so that I get paid because I want to make sure that they're with me for the right reasons. I have an impact goal, but the problem is, is outside of our community and not that everyone has done coaching outside of our community. And then it's bled in specifically in their situation, but it's all about how much money you can make doing coaching or, you know, virtual this or virtual that instead of, do you have a calling for this? Is this something that you're really passionate about elevating? Are you, you know, because those things really, we know, you know, if you are an amazing stylist that has a good business, that's passionate about helping people and building a strong clientele, you will be successful. And it's the same thing in coaching. Yep. Yep. It's yeah. I mean, I think back on that first client and I should have never taken them in the first place, you know, and now I look at like, I had a call with somebody last month, um, a consultation and I I wasn't for them. And I told him that I said, you know, I don't think I'm what you're looking for, but here are my friends that teach on this exact thing, you know, and, and I'm proud of that now, you know, where I would have been like, no, I got to get paid. (laughs) Yeah. But now I it's know. like, no, I don't want to get paid if I'm not helping. Well, um, you know how icky it feels like when it's not in alignment with that first one. And you're like, I don't never want to do that ever. again. Because the ick, it's just like the ick feeling when you take a client on and do their hair. And you know from the beginning, they are not going to be happy with their hair. And you're going to not sleep or think about it, waking up all those yep. times. And you do it anyway. And you're like, no, like I yep. am not going to do that. Yeah. So there's a book that I absolutely love um, called Happy Money. And it talks about um, receiving and giving money and and making it be like a good feeling. And I think about that now all the time because that like if I would have taken a client that isn't aligned with me, that's that money doesn't even make me happy. It's like 
bad. It's like negative, yes, money, it you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, th- I think this is, it's so fascinating. Um, okay. I'm going to cut it off now because I feel I like, know. <laughs> I know the only thing I didn't go back to was oh, yeah, go just for it. with just that I want to tie it up because we ended up going and who knows if the people stuck around to hear more about the, they usually um, do. My, my listeners are very much used to this. <laughs> well, I'm like, now that I know that it's like, oh, this is, I mean, it's a talk show. So I need to just put it on. I always get in the moment where I'm like, I need to listen to something that's, that's depth, but that's lighthearted because life is just so hard. Sometimes I'm like, I really want a good podcast that you can get really deep into and feel like you had a little bit of a therapy session, but then sometimes you don't have space for that in your life. I'm like, I'm just like, I just need something that, you know, is is a little bit of whatever, but yeah. So that's awesome. So now I'm like, oh, well, now I'm just going to have to listen to all your episodes. because You should, I've got some good ones. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like, like, you know, knowing that this is like the standpoint that you come from as well. I know that the topics are going to even be, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Even stuff that I may end up wanting to talk more with you about later. Okay. So the cultural thing, there is also a, with clients asking for discounts and expecting, I think the one thing I told you when we, before we were on live was in an area where there isn't an expectation for you to discount services, there are other nice things that people do for people if they like become part of their community, like mm-hmm. uh, somebody moving into your neighborhood and you taking over a meal or somebody having a baby and you take a meal or somebody new moving into the area and you take them cookies, right? So if you're a service provider, that's kind of like the way that you work within your community. And this is not just for hairstylists. This is for people who do, you know, yard work, um, tile, like I would say, you know, any service-based worker, you're usually like, okay, once we have a relationship, like they're my, like, we've got this good relationship. And it's almost like if you charge them full price, you don't like them as a client as much as you like your other clients. Right. Like they're not one of like your in people. And a lot of people have built businesses, entire structural businesses out of this. And this is not something that's easily moved away from. The other thing is, and this is probably very much in your wheelhouse of the money trauma. When you are in a not as affluent socioeconomic area, you, it's hard to get out of that. Mm -hmm. You see people that are like, oh, you're going to college. Oh, you're going to, I mean, even if it's just, you have a car that has payments on it, not like you have, you know, a a G wagon or something like, who do you think you are now charging those prices? Who do you think you are now? And it is not easy Mm -hmm. to, to deal with that. And it's not just the, it's not just your clients. It's the fellow stylists. Yep. So I worked with a stylist and I can't remember where she was at. Um, but she told me she like was questioning a little bit of like what she was doing because of the backlash that she got. People start talking negatively about you, make up stories about you, and it's all their own trauma. And you're just trying to better yourself and run a business. Yep. But like those things impact people. So just have compassion on yourself. The yeah. only way that we move past these things is giving people 
the space to judge you incorrectly because that's based on their own trauma and their own limiting beliefs about themselves or whatever they've got going on in their own personal lives. They could be going through emotional abuse with their, within their, you know, whatever. And that they're just going to project that out. Yep. But be very conscious of the type of education that you're willing to pay for. If you know that you have any of these given set of circumstances. Yes. And I I heard something on a podcast actually this morning, and it was talking about when you're pointing fingers at someone else, turn your finger around and point it at yourself. So for example, if somebody is like complaining about your prices being too high or whatever, you know, so, oh, who do you think you are or whatever? Okay. Why is that bothering you? Because you probably have a little bit of that in your own mind, right? Like who do I think I, I am? You know, the imposter syndrome. So working through that in yourself rather than working through it about the person that's saying it down the street, yes. you know, which is hard. And that's where therapy and coaching and all of those things do come in. Um, question for you. I almost ask everyone this. Everyone pretty much has the same answer, but do you think that you can be legitimately successful? I'm talking like peace, success, your own unique success. Do you think that you can be successful without self-improvement, mental growth? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my therapist, I even share, I've shared something recently with someone I hang out, hung out with, and I told them something that my therapist had told me. And they were like, oh, I didn't even realize that we were going to like have a little therapy here. And I was like, oh, it's just benefit. I mean, literally you're just getting the extension. I've told probably seven people, different things from my therapist in the circumstances that she's told me, but like that has been huge. And I mean, I did start some self-improvement before my therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, yeah, you have to have, you have to learn how, like, I look at people who do like, um, you know, monks who are able to just like sit in silence and sit with themselves and like not talk. I mean, not that I'll ever get to that stage, but there's, there's so much growth in just being able to find this space between everything. It takes so much for that, that like, you're always going to feel this um, subconscious chaos. If you can't move towards that, it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account, Mm -hmm. how happy you are with these other things that it's like that subconscious chaos is just going to plan itself somewhere and destroy something you've created. Yep. Amplify. Yep. Mm -hmm. And amplify because if it doesn't get put in check, it eventually grows in, you know, grows into something. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question. I ask everyone this one too. What does being a cash confident stylist mean to you, Michelle? So I think the biggest thing is for people to have um, a piece about however they've chosen to work with money, however, however that looks. Does that mean that you um, have investments or that you are just better at spending money? You know, everybody's a different stage. I mean, eventually we would like everyone to be able to have time off, retirement, Um, not have to work excessive hours. I tell people I would like for people to not work any more than 35 hours, because even if you are at a 40 hour work week, which I mean, it would be great to work three days a week 
forever, but that's just not the reality for everyone. Like most, I mean, even engineers are working 40 hours a week, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, aerospace engineers, right? So we would like you to get to the stage where you're able to retire, where you're able to have pay for, you know, health insurance or pay for whatever the things are that you need in your life. Um, But ultimately at your stage, if that's not something, right? I mean, you'll eventually, but at your stage, you just not feeling like money is totally out of your control or your finances are completely out of your control, that you're making progress towards finding that peace with whatever it is in your financial situation. Yes. I love that. And taking control of it. I like the word control when it comes to money. Um, Thank you so much for this. Where can people find you? Do you have resources for them? I'll put whatever you say, I'm going to put in the show notes. So it's easy for them to find. Um, Tell the people all the things. So you'll find me on Instagram at beauty business guide. And I do have some guides like where you, you know, you can scroll over from your feed to your um, reels and then guides that have, you know, a few different ones, just little things to think about as a, an independent, as a salon owner, when it comes to the finance, financial side, I do try to share as much free education with contacts for people who are capable of putting the things together because maybe they've gotten to a certain point and they're, they just need those last little things. But I also have a course for independence that is a self audit. Mm -hmm. And then I just teach you the different tools that I use to customize based on your business, based on your clients, you know, based on how you can stand behind presenting these things in your business, because again, it could look good on paper, but I'm not going to be standing there with your client in your business. So I've got the virtual, the self-paced course. And then I do work with salon owners and independents one-on-one doing full business audits and optimization. I only focus on the numbers, the menu, um, the product allotments, all of those things, essentially the structural parts of your business. And then, you know, tell you like, well, you might want to invest in this, or you might want to invest in that based on those given set of circumstances. My uh, everything that I offer is in the link in my bio on at beauty business guide and the website is at the bottom of the link tree. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. And I will put everything. I'll put your website and everything in the show notes as well as your Instagram and all of the things. This was fun. Thank you. Once again, thank you for listening to the cash confident stylist podcast. I appreciate each and every one of my listeners more than you know, if you like what you hear, Please screenshot this episode, share it with a friend, share it on social media, and don't forget to tag me, Misty Jane, and the podcast at Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. You can even take it a step further and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Talk with you on the next one.